0: Okay, how many arguments have you had already today? How many have had at least one? Raise your hand. At least one argument. Okay, there are a few honest people in the room. Thank you. Um, Arguments are just part of our human experience. It's because when you bring any two human beings together, you're going to have friction. You're going to have tension. You're going to have communication breakdown and relationship breakdown. You're going to have discombobulation. It's just because that's Our nature, our nature is to kind of miss each other and misread each other and misinterpret each other at times. And it's not really that bad when those happen in small ways, in ways that that are not that significant. You can have lots of little arguments all week long and still survive and still feel like life is sort of moving along and and everything's going to be okay. But it's the big ones where we get stuck It's the big arguments where we need help. It's the times when we just just get fried in our brains. Why can't you understand me? Why can't you really listen to what I'm trying to say? That's where we need help. And that's where, honey, I shrunk the argument comes in. Let me bring you back to a passage in the New Testament that, uh, that gets overlooked a lot, but I go back to it often because it it illustrates a relational truth that's so much a part of our lives each and every day, whether it's in the church, whether it's at home, whether it's at school, or whether it's in the office. Acts chapter 15. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Here's Paul and Barnabas. They're buddies. And they've been traveling together. They've been doing things together. So this is a good idea. Let's get out the bus. Let's go on a tour. Let's check in with everybody. This will be fun. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. I'm not taking Mark. He's a wimp. He just bailed out last time. Why do you want to take somebody who's, who's a risky team player like that? I just don't want to bring this kid. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. We've got to bring Mark. He's a great kid. We've got to give him a chance. We've got to bring him along. I'm not bringing somebody that i got to babysit all the time. Well, then we're not going to go. Well, I'm going, and I'm going without you. Paul and Barnabas, buddies, called by God to do a great work in the world, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul, he had a first-round draft pick, Silas. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You see, getting into conflict is not something that can be avoided. But what we need is a strategy to get beyond the conflict what do we do when we get into those times when we're polarized when we're at opposite ends of the spectrum from each other let me take you to a passage in the old testament it's proverbs chapter 6 and the first time i read this i thought this is really cool this is really amazing this is showing me something that that god thinks something that is at the very Heart of his nature. Proverbs chapter chapter 6. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. This is the stuff that God doesn't like. Haughty eyes. That's that's a a, a look of pride. That's having so much pride that you feel you're above everybody else. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. A person who gets other people into arguments. A person who, who turns things into conflict, who, who gets things all confused all the time in relationships. God hates that. That's something God really doesn't like. Why does God hate conflict? Why does God eschew relational estrangement? It's simply because within his Nature Within his nature, he is a unity. There is no conflictual nature in the person of God. Between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is unity. He doesn't like it when we sort of poke at each other and and bait each other and try to entrap each other in, in verbal contests. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs 13, it's verse 12. "Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick." In other words, if you're hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping for something, and it never happens, you get sick on the inside. You don't feel good. You feel lost. You feel disenfranchised. You don't feel really connected to anything. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, when hope becomes a reality, when you finally put your arms around that thing that you hoped for, everything makes sense. You, you come alive in a whole new way. So the question when it comes to, honey, I shrunk the argument, is how do you get to the hope? How do you get to the hope in an argument? Let's take a look at this diagram. This is uh, one of my favorite diagrams, and, and I use it a lot, and it, it easily points out what's going on in any kind of an argument or a conflictual situation. You have the point of contact where you are in that state of disarray. You're in an argument. You're in a conflict. Something isn't right. You're on one side and there's another person on the other side. And your first move is usually to be defensive. You're trying to defend your position. You want to be right because you want to be right. And you want to be right because that makes you feel stronger or better or it raises your, your supposed level of self-esteem. Although at that point, it's only a false level of self-esteem. So you move into a defensive posture. But behind the defensive posture, there are fears. There are fears. What if? What if I'm not right? What if? What's going to happen then? What if I? What if I, I weaken the relationship? What if I? What if I look weak in the relationship? And so there there are fears that that just layer upon layer beyond the the defensive. But if you keep peeling back from the defensiveness, if you keep peeling back from the fears, you will finally come to a place where there's a wish and a hope. And I wish I could, you know, my wish and hope is that that you would put this inside of your minds and just keep it as a as a point of reference. I can always go back to the wish and the hope. How do I get back to the wish and the hope? Because if you can get to the wish and the hope, you can shrink the argument. You can get beyond those things that tend to to bring relationships down. And you can get to the places That build relationships up. So how do you get to the hope? Your argument style, and everybody has an argument style, is always about two things. It's about relationships. It's about goals. It's about how you want your relationships to feel and look and be. And it's about where it is that you're trying to to arrive in life. Your argument style is always about relationships and goals. And there are five next-to-normal argument styles. The first one is you can hibernate. You can hibernate. You can withdraw. You don't have to get into the argument. You don't have to get into the conflict. But that, that move is always going to be low on relationships and low on goals. If you go and hide somewhere, it doesn't help the relationship very much. It doesn't have a vision for the relationship. It's all about you not wanting to engage. It's all about you wanting to kind of sequester yourself away and not deal with reality. So you might have an argument style of hibernation, but it's not a really good argument style in the big picture of things. You you will not shrink the argument. You can power up. You can be a, a power monger. There are lots of power mongers. You can power up, which is low on relationship and high on goals. But the problem is the goals are your goals. It's what I want. It's how I want it to be. It's if I say jump, you say how high. It's let's get this done the way I planned it to be. It's like you don't have a choice here. And so lots of people have a relational uh, argument style of powering up, but it usually doesn't shrink the argument. You can be a smoother or a smoothie, if you want. You can smooth things over, which is high on relationships, but it's low on goals. It kind of makes everybody feel better, and everybody kind of gets a you know a shot of self-esteem, and everybody kind of you know is smiling, and you've kind of you've know, brought people back to life. But it really isn't taking the argument anywhere that that gets close to reality or close to. To functionality. So smoothing things over kind of feels right and feels good, but it really doesn't shrink the argument. You can coach the team. Now, coaching the team is high on relationships and it's also high on goals. This is where we use the term win win. Um, if you if you coach the team, you're trying to look for the ways that, that everybody gets a win. You're going to win because you're going to be in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. And I'm going to be in the right place because I want to see you succeed. And if you want to see me succeed and you're going to succeed, then everybody wins. We can all set goals that we all agree on. And we're all moving together towards something. We're all on the same page. And everybody high fives. And it's a good place to be. This is where you can you start to, to to do some major shrinking of of the argument. And finally, the fifth argument style, you can just split the difference. Now, this is, this is an easy move to make uh, in some respects, but it's moderate on relationships and it's moderate on goals. This is what we usually typically call a compromise, where you get a little bit of what you want and, and I get a little bit of what I want and nobody gets exactly what they wanted, but everybody's sort of kind of going to be okay. And sometimes it's a good move. Sometimes it shrinks the argument enough to keep moving towards reality. You can hibernate. You can power up. You can smooth over. You can coach the team, or you can split the difference. Problems arise in our lives, in the collisions of argument styles when a hibernator meets a power-upper, you know, the power-upper just keeps powering up and powering up, and the hibernator just keeps snoring. And it's just you know, it's not a really good way to, to work through anything. When a power-upper meets a smoother-over, you know, the power-upper gets, gets mad because the smoother-over keeps smiling and laughing and kind of, kind of superficial of everything, and the power-upper is trying to kind of get somewhere, and the smoother-over is making everything okay, and, and it's a relationship collision. Uh, when a smoother over meets the coach, you know, the coach says, you know, hit the showers, please. You know, you're not helping the, the team here. You've got to deal with the reality. We have to set some goals here. It's not just, everything's not just okay because you say it, it's okay. Uh, and then sometimes when you have a, a split the difference, uh, that can make the power upper mad because the power upper wants to win or split the difference with a hibernator. doesn't matter because you just get, just get your half of the, of the compromise, and the other half never really goes anywhere. So problems arise in the collisions of argument styles. So what's your style? How do you shrink the argument, really? How do you get there? Let me take you to some Proverbs that kind of outline about four different ways for shrinking an argument. Proverbs 10, 19 When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And in the the typical fashion of of the book of Proverbs, it just kind of like hits it head on real quick but it nets it all out, and you get the truth right there in two quick phrases. When words are many, sin is not absent. In other words, if you just keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, sooner or later, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Talk, 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 talk. You're going to say too many things. You're going to end up saying the wrong things. You're going to say things that you don't really mean, and it isn't going to work. It's kind of like these two people in the drama this morning, the ledger people. They kept talking and talking and talking, and it really wasn't working. And I know what you were thinking. Hey, I want to get on the drama team because I want to get up here and kiss somebody on stage. But that was a married couple, so don't get any ideas. It was a married couple, husband and wife there. So when you talk, 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 you're just kind of leaving yourself wide open, and you're not going to shrink the argument. The shrinking of the argument is in the second part of that proverb. But he who holds his tongue is wise. This is the theology of just be quiet or in simple terms, just shut up. Just don't talk anywhere. Just stop. Stop the production of words because if you stop the production of words, you might just listen long enough to hear something that starts to shrink the argument. So holding your tongue, is the first move towards shrinking an argument and listening. Proverbs chapter 12, there are three verses here that I'd like to call your attention to. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. You see how you shrink an argument there? A fool wants to just jump in, bam, bam, bam. Okay, You said that, and here, I'm coming right back. You came in with a left hook. I'm coming in with a right jab. Bam, bam, bam. It's foolish. A wise person, a prudent person, overlooks an insult. You overlook an insult. This is the the, the move to shrink an argument by seeing beyond the moment, seeing beyond the argument, seeing that maybe right now this person's having a bad day. Maybe right now this really doesn't matter. This is not the time or the place. I'm just going to let this one go. It's not about the points. It's just let this thing go. You can shrink an argument by overlooking something and just just letting it go. Verse 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. They slice people's hearts and minds and self-esteem. They're like daggers like weapons that just go in and they don't bring anything of life. They just bring destruction and death. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise person brings healing. This is what I call shrinking an argument by moving toward reconciliation or moving toward what I call and we, we use this, these two words around here a lot, relational glue. Move into relational glue. What is it that can bond this relationship back together? What is it that can bring healing back into this relationship? How do we get there? It's easy to to just slice something and cut something down. It's easy to speak words recklessly that, that tear a person's life apart. What do you do? Who's left standing after the bombs explode? But moving towards relational glue, having the presence of mind to say, what do we really have here that's bigger than all this stuff that we're arguing about? That shrinks the argument. And then finally, verse 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And there's been research done on on men and women arguing in relationships Husbands and wives arguing in marriage. And the, relation, the relationship research says if you can get to some humor, if you can get to a place where you laugh at each other, because it's just so crazy that you're in this argument at all, if you can just start to laugh a little bit, it shrinks the argument. An anxious heart weighs a man down. When we're all caught up in all these things that seem so important, but they're not really that important, it weighs us down. But a kind word cheers the heart. A kind word just kind of makes you feel better. Stop sometimes and just just see how silly it all is. See how crazy everybody's acting. See how everybody's trying to build a house on on sand and it's all going to wash away anyway and start building on something that makes a lot more sense. And that shrinks the argument. Let me tell you my story. I grew up in a home where arguments were one of the main communication tools. It was pretty much the first move that people would make. There were arguments about other people and arguments about attitudes and arguments about the way to do things and the way not to do things, and arguments about arguments. I do not think back to a home of peace punctuated with a few arguments. I think back to a home of arguments punctuated with a few moments of peace. I wish now so often that someone could have or would have shrinky dink. The arguments. They needed to be shrunk down to size. It breaks the spirit of a child to live in a place where verbal pugilism is the order of the day. And I think there are probably still some broken places inside of me because I lived in a place where arguments were the rule of the day. And there were few moments when. I didn't feel I had to sort of get away from that. Um, When I think back upon those times, it seems to me all the arguments were just three arguments going around and around and around. Just really three arguments. Here they are. Argument number one was, my way or the highway? That was argument number one. And, and, And my dad was just famous for that, for just sort of like laying it out there. And once you lay that out there, there is no way to go. There's no way to shrink the argument after that point. It's The demand is there. It's, it's powering up. It's saying, you know, you want to make a move? There's the door. You know, it's out there. It's not going to happen in here. And, and that just doesn't go anywhere that's good. Just can't, just doesn't. Argument number two, why someone wasn't smart enough to know how to live according to the rules of our family. Uh, We somehow in our family, you know, had established the the code of how to live, and it was the right way, and everybody should live that way, because that made us think that we were right all the time. And so if you were outside of that, then you were wide open to judgment. You were wide open to cross-examination. Uh, We might as well just put you under a big light and interrogated you as to why you thought you could do that when this is the right way. And and sometimes I I was the one getting interrogated. You know, why someone wasn't smart enough to know how to live according to the rules of our family. Argument number three was, I'm right, which means you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. End of the story. Each of these arguments is rooted in pride and judgment. Each of these arguments is so short-sighted. Each of these arguments fails to bring grace into the discussion. My way or the highway needs to be shrunk by understanding that a family or marriage is made up of more compromises than you ever thought possible. More than you ever thought possible. And compromises mean you only get part of what you want. You only get part of what you want. And that's part of the contract of living in a family. Why someone wasn't smart enough needs to be shrunk by understanding that you can't always know what may have influenced someone else to do what they did in a certain moment of their life. And that your family rules may not cover every situation or what God might be doing in someone's life. you got to get a much wider view of life and people and relationships and experience and what happens and what might not happen and what should happen and of grace and of God's faithfulness. I'm right, which means you're wrong, needs to be shrunk by identifying your main lines of defense and listening more for the hope that's in every disagreement. Start to peel back that Defensiveness, start to, to work your way through the fears and listen, because somewhere there's a wish and a hope. You know, when you talk about arguments and you talk about real life, and I'm, I'm committed to talking about real life, you have to look at the, the argument zones that I think we all live in. Here are what I think your argument, argument zones are. Regulating behaviors. You argue about regulating behaviors. It's behaviors of kids, or it's behaviors that are destructive, or it's behaviors that are addictions, but there's lots of argumentation that goes on in our lives that relates to regulating behaviors. There are arguments in the zone of spending money and paying bills. Lots of arguments about spending money and paying bills. Spending money. The arguments about spending money hit the top of the list in terms of things that men and women argue about most frequently. Hey, who said you could buy that? Hey, if you did that, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to balance out the ledger. If you got those things, I'm going to get these things. I'm going to get points. If you got points, it just comes down to things that that end up breaking people's hearts and deteriorating family life. Uh, authority. Who makes final decisions. Who calls the final shot? Who's in charge? Lots of arguments about that. When, if you think about it, God's in charge and we're trying to do his will. And so maybe the discussion should be more about what do you think God wants instead of, I want you to do what I want. Freedom. How much freedom? When do I get freedom? Where does freedom show up in this relationship? Where does it show up in the parent-child relationship? Where does it show up in, in, in terms of, you know, what, what things are mine and what things are yours and what, what I want to do and what you want to do? Lots of arguments about personal freedom. Here's a big one, time. The time we spend at work and home and watching TV. And, and you know, when is there time for the things that are really important? When is there time for me is usually what that argument is about. And then finally, the argument zone of the division of domestic labor, the division of work in the home. Thank you, God bless you. Oh, man, lots of stuff goes round and round in that zone. You know, I was thinking about all the zones and all the arguments and, I realized I realize this. We tend not to argue. We tend not to argue when we're humble, when we sacrifice for someone else, when we give grace, when we pray, or when we listen. So you see, to shrink the arguments, you have to live more for the hope, for the wish and the hope than for self protection or self interest. Now, if we could just figure out how to do that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So how do you get to the hope? I think we find out a lot about the hope in a few verses in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter hung around with Jesus a lot, and Peter had an amazing ministry Uh, in the first century. And and Peter learned more and more about relationships over the course of his life than he probably ever thought he would learn. And he wrote this. Finally, it's kind of like a summation. Finally, all of you, that means everybody in the room, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insults don't exacerbate the argument don't giganticize the argument don't intensify the argument that's the easy move to make do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter is saying, look, the wish and the hope is all about figuring out how do you bless somebody else's life? How do you bring something good to somebody else, something that edifies, something that, that honors? And when you can, can understand that your gift of something that that honors, your gift of something that that blesses, when you can understand that that is part of the wish and the hope for building good relationships, then you have shrunk the argument. Then you're on the other side of the argument. You're not caught up with with keeping points. You're not caught up with insult for insult. You're on God's side of the argument. And that's where you always want to end up. When you shrink the argument, you always end up on God's side. That's how you get to the hope. Let me ask you some questions as you get ready to to go home and put some of this stuff into practice. Where do I see myself having the same argument over and over? Who am I having it with? Why Am I having it? What is it about this argument that it keeps coming back and back and back? What is my argument style? Am I a power upper? Am I a smoother over? Do I just hibernate to try to get away from it all? Or am I more about coaching? Am I at least about trying to to find some places where we can compromise? What zone was I in? most in last week? Where was I zoning last week in terms of the arguments that, that were just so much at the forefront of every day? What zone am I in today? What am I ready to do battle about today that really really doesn't matter that much, really I might want to step back and laugh about? How can I get through to the hope? How can I think about a way to bring honor and blessing into another person's life? And then finally, am I praying about this? Am I praying for God to help me in this? Will I pray this week? Will I, I make it a priority this week to really pray that I will shrink some of the arguments in my life? And as the case often is, God wrote you a letter about this. Arguments are inevitable. You already had one this morning or last night or last week. You had one with your spouse or your brother who isn't talking to you today. You had one inside of your head with the checkout person or your mom or yourself. Sometimes you have one with me, but I don't answer. Your broken world requires the fuel of broken relationships. A daily quota is paid with slick sarcasm and torrents of rip-you-apart words. Arguments are signs of, of a deep rift which multiplies tiny cracks on the surface of each encounter. Sometimes the baby cracks are quickly filled by laughter and expectancies of good things, but sometimes the cracks begin to open up. They widen with voracious personal demands and widen with emotional blindness and widen with unrestrained ambition ambition, until love and grace are sucked into an abyss of tirades and venomous complaints. I am sad when I see grace and love disappear into that shadow world. They are gone, however, they do not die. But if you catch an argument before it can fulfill its mission of destruction, it can become useful, leading you into different places beyond your argument collisions. Learn this. In every argument, there is a seed of hope. In every conflict, there is a sliver of light. In every broken moment, there is the opportunity for healing touch. Nothing, even when it seems hopeless, is beyond grace. Nothing, even when it appears the earth has swallowed itself whole, is far from my grasp. I will cover you with my hands, though you fear the worst is upon you. I will bring you home from the farthest regions of confounding questions about life to a place of unimaginable light. You will see and know, not believe. You will see and know who I am. You must be diligent in not letting yourselves become ensnared by daily frustrations that lead into point-for-point or tit-for-tat debates. You must lean into me at those times when you think you have no more strength for words and let me breathe into your mind. Don't always answer an attack with an attack. Don't feel you must always win. Don't curse the machinery of relational pain. Allow my mind to be in your mind. Let my words salve your heart. Take more of me and less of the world, and you will find something amazing. You will find something beyond treasure. You will find hope, iridescent, shining, and you will know the right words to say at the right time. Most days, that will bring be enough to bring grace and love back from the shadows. Most days, that will be enough to build something good with love hope. Those days are the days I pray for for you.